My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I never set out to be you know, rich. I wouldn't use that term. I, I just set out to try and create something that made life a little bit more comfortable at some point in the future. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're back with property investor and mortgage broker Gary Harvey. After developing his portfolio of 32 properties throughout the years, he shares his strategy that focuses on a specific selection process where location is key to growing his portfolio effectively. And also, you'll hear about the mindset he has adapted that could help you. Harvey goes into the details of the different strategies he chose to focus on that ultimately helped him to buy 32 properties in his portfolio. I think, look, one of the things that um, I guess pushed me more in that direction was what you know, Robert Kiyosaki would say about, you know, an asset is something that puts money in your pocket. Um, uh, so if you if I'm buying something that's not doing that, then it's not fitting that particular definition of an asset. Now, I think and the definition is broader than that, but, but that point really resonated with me. So I, uh, I thought, well, you know, that just makes sense to me. Why don't buy things that pay me? Um, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm claiming tax deductions, I'm losing money. So that didn't really appeal to me. And it would, you know, it would cap me out prematurely on what I could buy. Whereas this strategy, <clears throat> you know, things have changed a little bit now in the lending landscape. But, but back then, you know, it enabled me to continue to buy um, properties. And I just became, I guess, more creative with the sorts of things I did. I mean, one other strategy I mentioned also, I at one point I probably had about 12 vendor terms contracts uh, in my portfolio, which, you know, which was a great strategy to just boost my cash flow. Can you elaborate what vendor terms means for listeners who might not know what that is? That's when I'd buy a property and sell it to someone that couldn't uh, uh, qualify for finance. So, so in, a, in effect, I became the bank. So we would, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, if I bought a property for three hundred thousand, I would then sell it to them at a at a small margin above my acquisition cost. So I might sell it for three hundred and forty-five, three hundred and fifty thousand. And if I was paying five percent on my interest rate, I'd charge this particular client seven percent. 
So so I'd make a margin on the rate and then that, you know, full 7% over and above my borrowing cost, over and above my debt, sorry. So, you know, a lot of those strategies, I'd generate 800 to to $1,000 a month in positive cash flow. So, um, which was a really, again, looking back, was a, was a strategy I'm so pleased I did because when leading into the GFC, when, when interest rates were rising, uh, you know, it just buffered me. I, I didn't feel that that pain of rates going from 5 to 5% to 9% because I had all this surplus income coming through. That's a very, very smart strategy when you think about it because you factored in that component plus also too you're making a margin. It's it's almost like you're renting to renting. And it was a good look. It's a, I mean, it's it's pretty much banned now Australia-wide, I think, or it's about to be in, in the last remaining states where you can do it. But it's like you know, it's just because it, probably the system was abused a little bit by some investors. But you know, we had some great stories because when you do a vendor terms contract, m- me as the the original owner of the property, I don't get the growth in the in the property over and above my my predetermined sale price. So you know, there was one that stands out to me where I helped these people get into a property. They were on a part nine, so not quite bankruptcy, but just prior to that. And they had ten thousand uh, dollars as a deposit, so we took that. We put them in a property in in a suburb of Melbourne, which was valued at about three hundred thousand at the time. And and they actually just refinanced that away from me uh, about two years ago. Now that property would have been worth six hundred thousand. So so I mean, it also gives me a lot of comfort knowing that I've been able to help that family, you know, go from ten thousand dollars to effectively $300,000 and so that was their um, win out of the the um, transaction and my win was I got surplus cash flow along the way so so everyone if if these were put in place correctly and and dealt with effectively then every everyone could walk away with a positive outcome. He further explains his selection process and where he went when it came to buying properties. Well I went all over the the place I did did a lot in Victoria. I just tried to select towns that were that were affordable for me, demonstrated some good yields, and I felt had a future. Um, and yeah, you know, some of that is. And look, one of the things I do was if McDonald's had built a store in that town, then they got a they got a much bigger research budget than I do, so they obviously think there's a future. So um, yeah, so that was just a simple thing. To go, okay, well, some you know, big organisations got confidence in this location. Um, so, you know, so should I. Harvey affirms that it's important to model the strategies of brands and look at the location of where the properties are. I believe there's going to be growth because, I mean, you're buying properties that you can't even, you know, you probably couldn't have even bought blocks of land for that value back when I was buying, let alone put a house on it. So. I always felt that I was buying below replacement cost. Um, and as long as I felt that the area had a demand for rental and there was, you know, infrastructure and things happening, then it gave me the confidence to uh, to proceed. Um, and, yeah, so I just, I just spent a lot of time, you know, I'd probably take a different approach today. I, I was more focused on, well, where, you know, where can I get, I wouldn't buy anything if it didn't yield more than 8%, whereas... Today, I'd probably look at focus more on the location than just the yield. 
um, and focus a little bit more on the quality of the property than than just the yield. So, so I don't consider it a mistake. But looking back, um, and I talk about this a lot with my clients. I, I, you know, if I showed you some of the photos of the houses I got, you'd probably look at me and go, "What the hell did you buy that for?" But, but it, you know, it, it delivers the the outcome that I need. Whether it be a positive or a different route for Harvey, it is all about the learning process for him. I've done you know a lot more transactions than I currently got, so I've probably done over you know, somewhere between fifty and sixty property purchases and sales. Now my spreadsheet just keeps track of—it's not a sophisticated spreadsheet, but it just keeps track of my current portfolio. And but and so looking back, you know, I've kept data of what I paid and what the rent was at the time and all that sort of stuff. But the the purchase price of these properties I currently hold was four million, um, and it's currently valued at seven. So so the growth, I'm still very comfortable with the growth. That's a seventy six percent growth uh, in the portfolio since I've had it, um, and and that was buying and and I guess. This drives it home to me now a lot more too, and also to to the people I, I work with. Yeah, you know, I was able to do that with without buying the best investments, because my you know I didn't know what I know today, and my point of focus was probably just slightly off. So, if you can get that sort of performance um, by not buying the best stuff, or well, what can you do if you if you focus a little bit better and and think more about what you want to buy. Um, but more, you know, like I said, the, the, previously, the value is not that important to me. It's about the income that's being derived from those assets, um, which which will continue to grow. Uh, and and you know, the regional areas because the rents are still relatively low compared to capital cities. There, there's a there's a lot of room for growth, and I'm and I see that all the time. Every time a tenant moves out, we we often get um, get increases in rents. So. It's um you know I think long term it it'll, it'll certainly deliver the you know what I set out for it to do. In hindsight, and if you look took a different direction in today's market and look at it, say for example you look at Melbourne and Sydney on average properties are about a million dollars. How does one I guess afford to be able to purchase an investment property like a million dollars and get the kind of rental returns if you were to do that kind of strategy nowadays? From your point of view, it doesn't exist. You know the rental yields are. You know, my you know, good yield might be considered three percent. So, you're if you're going to buy those types of properties, then you're you're relying on the investment performing in another way, because um, it's it's not going to perform from a from a cash flow point of view. So you're going to be relying on you know adding value to it, um, you know, via renovations or subdivisions or or you know the property going up in value over time that you can then you know tap into that either by selling it or or accessing equity so but you I think you've just got to be very clear on on why you're doing it and and see I I got I I take the view that now I'll still sell down some of my properties for for various reasons but I I still want to retain you know my goal would be to hold in retirement probably 20 of them and yeah, and the cash flow modelling on that once I own them is quite attractive. Uh, but but I don't. I want to sell as few as I as I can really, because when I sell, I have to remit uh, the capital gains tax on it, and then I've got to decide where else I'm going to invest that money. Um, so it's an it's an it becomes a little bit inefficient in a sense 
um, uh, having to buy something and to get any benefit of it, have to sell it um, rather than trying to buy something that you think you can hold, you know, virtually forever and uh, and live off the, the rewards of it. So, um, so it's something I think that investors have to think a lot about. Uh, you know, we've, I guess we we naturally gravitate, we want to buy something that's going to go up in value. And yes, that's important. But ask yourself the question, what are you going to do when it's gone up in value? Um, if, if the return back to you is low, then it's not going to deliver the, the income that you're going to need later on in life. So uh, then your option is you've got to sell it and then you're going to lose a significant portion of that value through selling costs and tax and then you've got to decide where you're going to invest it anyway. So you've almost got to com- you've got to complete two transactions. No one wants to do that as well, too, because it's just time consuming and costly. So this strategy, uh, and again, it's just one strategy. It's not the silver bullet in investing, but it's it's a strategy that that I think has a lot of credibility, um, and probably should have more focus put on it. Um, you know, that idea in a general sense of being able to buy an asset that that returns good income that you can that you can pay off and own and and live off the income for the remainder of your life. Coming up after the break, we hear about the current mindset Harvey still carries with him. I'm 45. I still want to do, I still want to work for, for many years ahead. I enjoy what I do. So I don't, I don't need it. Um, but I know that it's going to be there later on the tools and the resources that he's discovered assisting him in his property investing journey. It was a course that you purely just paid to be educated on a whole range of strategies in real estate investing. So um, uh, from from a couple of very successful investors and I, I just, that was a very key moment in what I did and I, and I took a lot out of it. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Harvey shares with us the kind of mindset he has adopted that influences him to buy particular properties and whether or not it has changed over time. It's relatively the same to to be honest. I I never set out to be you know rich, I wouldn't use that term. I I just set out to try and create something that made life a little bit more comfortable at some point in the future. And and I still put myself in that category. I you know my my investment journey's still got a long way to run. But it, you know, the the real gains are made, particularly when you're paying off your debt. The real gains are made in the in the later years, as you know. Um, so so my why is to is to create something that uh, you know will enable myself and my wife and and to some degree my kids uh, to benefit from and enjoy um, when we need to. Like we you know we don't we don't rely on any of this income. Uh, at the moment, from the properties, it all just goes back into servicing the debt and reducing the debt, and and carrying the the costs associated with holding property. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm 45. I still want to do. I still want to work for for many years ahead. I enjoy what I do, so I don't I don't need it. Um, but I know that it's going to be there later on. You know, fast forward 10, 15 years, when perhaps I don't want to work as hard or whatever my particular circumstances are that then this can start to to take over so 
So I think the, the why being creating something for later on is, is still very relevant today, um, all, the, all these years down the track. As you mentioned, Roy Kiyosaki's book was very influential on your mindset and looking at assets and liabilities and looking for cash flow. But were there any other resources or did you have any local mentors that you sought help with your property development journey? I did a weekend course uh, early on and it was interesting. Um, uh, I can't even remember the people's name now, to be honest. I could probably work it out. But it, it was I chose this weekend course because they it wasn't a course where you come and do this course and then, you know, we'll sell you all of our developments. It was a course that you purely just paid to be educated on a whole range of strategies in real estate investing uh, from from a couple of very successful investors. And I, I just, that was a very key moment in what I did and I, and I took a lot out of it and I guess they gave me the, um, yeah, the confidence and the encouragement from what I'd learnt and, and heard to to keep pushing forward. Um, so so I I certainly r- remember that moment um, pretty um, pretty well. And then I also bought in, and I, I touched on this just briefly. You know, I bought in my family a little bit. And it's interesting because I invest, you know, a number of these houses. I my father's got an interest in, so he it was interesting to see him come on board after many years watching me and he, you know, the penny must have dropped for him that, you know, this, um, you know, this is a good thing. So, so, um, yeah, so I, you know, I sort of, I, I like to do, do things with, with others where, where it makes sense. Um, you know, and, and I'm lucky I've got good, um, good family on both my side and my wife's side, um, that have been big supporters of, of what we've done and and um so you know so they were mentors in a sense um by um you know endorsing what we were doing and encouraging us to to back ourselves in and and you know putting a lot of trust in us as well um but otherwise i just i think i i didn't confide in a lot of other people because of what I said earlier where you'd get a you get a lot of negative feedback from people if you showed enthusiasm to want to do something and and if people didn't know <clears throat> didn't understand it they would you know it was easy just to, to shoot it down rather than encourage it so so I found just a lot of you know confidence and self-worth to proceed within um, and you know my close family later on in the in the journey. The award-winning property investor shares his recommendations that can impact your journey and ultimately achieve great success. I guess because I just get so absorbed in my my life daily with what I do work-wise, I don't. I'm not as proactive in the in you know looking and educating myself as I probably should or or were previously. But but what I do say is it's really important to listen to lots of different information. I'm, I'm a big fan on, you know, getting all sorts of people's different points of view. You know, what have they done? What's what's worked? What hasn't worked? What does this strategy look like? You know, there's there's so many different things, and we can get that. You know, on online, there's you know various people that'll talk about things that they do, or you know, the the property investment magazines. I always found interesting when I was reading them. 
uh, at times in the past where, where they would, you know, interview other investors and talk about what they'd, what they'd been able to do. So I found, I think what's really important is just listening to, to people and, and then taking that information and forming your own view on what you think is going to work for you. Um, because there's no one way. There's no right way and wrong way. There's lots of different ways to, to make this work. So, yeah, figure that out by, uh, by talking to people and keep coming back. Words I use a lot are manageable and sustainable. You know, don't, don't try and take on something that isn't going to um, fit into that category because, you know, you could just cause yourself some problems down the track. Would you say that would be one of the best advice that you have received? Those words are what I, I kind of live by and I, I talk a lot with my clients. Um, and, and also a, a bit of balance. Um, you know, it's not all about tomorrow. You know, it's, it's okay to reward yourself a little bit along the way. Um, you know, investing is a long game. You know, and and things, you know, you don't want things to come up in life where, you know, whatever you're doing is put you under stress or... Because you're investing, you can't take the family on a holiday. I think you've got to strike a balance in there somewhere um, so that you can continue to enjoy it the whole way through, so that you can see it through because the real the real gains are uh, once you've, you've seen the process um, completed. Uh, so in my case, it'll be once I've, you know, extinguished most or all of my debt and, and you know, I can now in, enjoy the fruits of that that work um but if you know i just can't imagine that being a chore for 30 years it'd be horrible so you've got to get that balance right and that's different for for each each of us um and and one thing that and particularly in the strategy that i've used if if i'd considered it more at the time i i would have um started paying the debt off straight away when I look back at it, I'd be, you know, well advanced on where I am. I did a lot of interest-only lending for for a, a very long time in the portfolio, and and um, I mean, I still have a couple on interest-only. You know, I, I don't. Um, I think interest-only has its place and is very relevant for for investors. But if you've got good cash flow, it yeah, you know, it makes sense to start owning them. You know, b- build the equity quicker. It de-risks the investment. Uh, even if you're not getting growth, you're building equity. Um, it's yeah. If I reflect back on it, I'd it would it would be a strategy I would in, employ from day one. Harvey affirms how important it is to work hard along the journey, whilst at the same time managing a balanced lifestyle. And I had this conversation today with a client who's just bought their first investment property, and we had that discussion, and we cash flow modelled the interest only versus principal and interest, and. And I said, look, there's no right or wrong here. I just want you to be really informed about what your your options are, and and you know you've got to also think about where you're at right now in your life. And they said, well, you know that I'm really glad you've you've pointed all this out to us, and and you know we know we've got some school fees for the next five odd years with our children, so you know we can now make an informed decision so that we get a balance that's right for us that, you know, we're comfortable to go interest only so that we can get that lifestyle balance that's important to us. And, uh, you know, and I think that's really great that an informed decision has, has been made understanding, you know, the, the various options available. So, 
so yeah, it, it, I'm a big advocate for that. Um, and but it, it's it, often the conversation isn't had. So so I, I think the main point is to understand what your options are, so then you can decide what's most appropriate and at what time. Going back 10 years, Harvey shares what he would have said to his past self. And one of the, the big points I'd say is, you know, you know uh, filter out all the, the, the negative noise and influence around you. You know, that can, that can bring people down at times. So, you know, back yourself in, be, be strong, make sure you're not, you know, exposing yourself in, in, a, in a way that's going to be detrimental to you. Um, and and have fun. I I use that term a lot. It, this this process has got to be fun because if it's not, you'll you'll you know you'll um, stop it. You know it'll it'll just burden you in some way and you you'll unravel it. So um so I think you know for the most part I probably did all those things. Um but uh, yeah yeah encouragement is is an important part. Um and I you know I get a lot of that feedback. From the people that I work with, and uh, you know, you you ha- you help us have the confidence to to back ourselves in. You know, we, we, there's a lot of doubt that comes in and out of our minds, but after we speak to you and you break it down, and and uh, you know, we know what this means. It gives us confidence. So, um, so, so I think uh, that's that's a big thing. You know, I would have said to myself, make sure you learn about what you're doing. And if you've decided it's the way to go, then, you know, back yourself in and surround yourself with positive people. Um, that's important. The drainers can, can put a damper on things, that's for sure. Looking forward to the future, Harvey shares with us what he's most excited about in the next few years. I am excited about seeing my, my debt continue to fall. That's, that's quite exciting now. Um, I'll also um, look forward to, you know, when my... More, you know, when I want to slow down a little bit as a mortgage broker, um, you know, I'll, I'll like to go and fix fix up a lot of these houses that I've bought. So I look forward to doing that as well, and and you know that that again will just tie in nicely to to my objective of you know generating good income from. Them. So once I you know, give them the facelift that they'll they certainly some of them certainly need, then you know that's just going to improve that that um, that asset for me. You know, and I look forward to doing that because like I said at the start, I love being outdoors and and doing things. So being office bound most of the time is very different. And you know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to be a mortgage broker for the next 15 years. Um I reckon in yeah another you know five years or so I might, you know, the business model might change a little bit and you know, I like being out and about. So if I can incorporate my portfolio into into my lifestyle, um, you know, and go and fix a few of them up a little bit, and uh, that's that's what I'm really looking forward to. How much of your success is due to your skill, intelligence, and hard work, and how much of it do you think is because of luck? Well, the line I use, which I'm sure you've heard a lot, is you know I think you make your own luck. Really, uh, you you put yourself in the position to benefit from you know a, a, a potentially positive outcome. Um. So look, I've never, I don't use the word luck when I when I talk. Um, as a general rule, I think it's come down to I always like to try and make an informed decision, take responsibility for that decision. Um, and 
yeah, I've had some some success, but I've also had some things that haven't gone my way. You know, I'm certainly carrying a few properties at the moment that, you know, would life would be a little bit easier if I I weren't having them. But I don't consider that bad luck. I consider that, you know, well, I made a choice at the time to do that, and and um, I made a commitment to myself to be in a position to write it out, and that's what I do. Um, so I equally see the same on the upside. You know, if something's gone well, well, I I attribute it more to having a go. Um, none of us have the crystal ball, so you know, I, I think we need to do our research and have some some kind of a plan, uh, and and work on that plan. And and as a result, I just I think you just become lucky, you know, over time. So, so that's probably probably the best way I can I can answer that question. Thank you to Gary Harvey, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you'd like to hear Gary's full story, simply visit propertyinvestory.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.